Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates the stark reality and simple truths of premarital sex. You ever been to a baseball game at night? Under the lights, grass is so green, that dirt is red, brown, so beautiful. But if you go down to the infield, you take a shovel full of that dirt and bring it into your home and throw it on your new white carpet, it looks pretty dirty because it's out of its environment. And that's exactly what happens with sex. You take it out of marriage, it not only becomes dirty, it becomes destructive. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Civilized society offers many advantages in terms of the many conveniences afforded by the industrial age. But, as we'll see today on Simple Truths, not all this progress of modern life has been necessarily constructive. And no one area has suffered more from so-called progressive thinking than the biblical principles for morality, sex, and marriage. Pastor Xavier takes this opportunity in our study series through the book of 1 Thessalonians and Paul's plea for purity of chapter 4 to honor the Creator's perspective for sexual practices. Let's listen. Today our society has been thoroughly indoctrinated into believing that the best for society is to be tolerant of all ethnic and moral standards. This is the buzzword for the new millennial, tolerance. The place of indoctrination is our public schools and universities with the teaching of situational ethics, value clarification, and the philosophy of relativism. Those of you who are there know it clearly. By tolerant, society means that you are not to judge, criticize, or give your opinion regarding an absolute standard of right or wrong, or you're a bigot. The concept is that every person, culture, and race, regardless of their practices, has value and is to be learned from. This includes their practices of worship, philosophy of life, and sexual norms. Society has created an entire politically correct language so as to not offend the various groups and to mark those who are not tolerant of such views. Language such as, you are homophobic if you do not accept the homosexual lifestyle as an alternate lifestyle. You are no longer responsible for your own actions, but you are the product of all that has preceded you and all the people who have handed you a raw deal. So you're dysfunctional, you're codependent, or you're an enabler. You cannot call a person short any longer, lest you hurt their self-esteem. They are vertically challenged. <laughs> if you are committed to God, to truth, to virtue, honor, and absolute right and wrong, then you are out of sync with society today. You're a Puritan. You're of no earthly good to them. But do you realize that such was the society of the Thessalonians as Paul was addressing them regarding their sexual practices here in view of having come to Christ? God's standard is always the same because your ability to live the life of Christ is not based upon the culture and the time you live in. It is always premised upon the power of the Spirit of God. So we better be careful we don't water 
the word or the power of God down for today. If you notice the entire section that Paul opens up the chapter here, chapter 4, deals with the topic of their sexual purity from verse 1 through 8. The general exhortation to walk in their new life is based on the commandments of God. And they're found in the first two verses, which are based on three things. A commitment to grow in the knowledge the believer has received. A commitment to please God. And a commitment knowing that the instructions are from God. And then Paul focuses on the will of God for the Thessalonians regarding their sexual morality in Christ. Three things are revealed to be the will of God regarding their sexual practices. And they are given to us here in verses 3 through 6. Let me read it for you. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Here's the three things he reveals about God's will regarding their sexual practices. First, the believers to be sexually pure, verse 3. No exception. Secondly, the believers to be spirit-controlled, verse 4 and 5. And then thirdly, the believer is to recognize and respect sexual boundaries, verse 6. Now, the believer is to be sexually pure. Look at verse 3. First, the apostle says that the will of God was their sanctification. God's will is revealed in the scriptures, not in the educational institutions of men. So if you want to know what God desires for your life, you get into the word of God. You study Genesis to Revelation. You go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You ask hard questions. You put yourself next to the scripture. There's where God's will is revealed. This is only one of many things revealed about God's will, which God has communicated throughout the ages. Notice that Paul is talking to former Gentiles, who for the most part had a very low view of sex and marriage. The Greek culture, corrupt, perverted. In Greece, immorality had always been quite blatant, much like today in our day. Long ago, Demosthenes wrote this, listen, quote, We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for day-to-day needs of the body. We keep wives for begetting children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. So long as a man supported his wife and his family, there was no shame whatsoever in extramarital relationships, much like today. In fact, they are encouraged today. But notice they had received the gospel. They had been cleansed from all past sin. Now they were to be sanctified in God, set apart, because that's what the word sanctification means. You get the word saint, the word holy, sanctification, sanctified. They're all the same root word, hagios. Set apart. The apostle is telling the believer here that he or she is set apart for what? The purposes of God. Before we live for our own purposes, for our own goals, for our own desires. Now it's for God. This is much like the vessels of the tabernacle. They were set apart for God's use. No one else could use them. Now, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 22, that you and I have to make a decision whether we're going to separate ourselves to be vessels of honor or dishonor. One of the two. It's a choice. Romans chapter 6 gives you that choice again. God doesn't force you. Now, sanctification for the believer has a threefold aspect. 
First, positionally, we are justified in Christ, Romans 5, 1 and 2. I'm positionally in Christ, cleansed, new, a son of God. Secondly, practically, we are to walk in the light of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, listen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What's completely mean? That your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's concerned about your body, people. Not just your spirit. You cannot separate your body from your spirit, your spirit from your body, and your emotions, which is your soul, puts them together, binds them together. The third aspect is perfectionally. That means that one day we're going to be glorified with Him and be just like Him. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. So there's your three aspects of sanctification. He's interested that you set yourself apart. Now notice secondly here in verse 3 that the apostle says that the will of God was that they should abstain from sexual immorality. The phrase sexual immorality, pornea, means illicit sexual activity of all kinds. The term includes intercourse, usually prior to marriage. But when it is used in the context of marriage, then it refers to adultery. And Jesus uses it like that in Matthew 5.33 and 19.9 when he spoke about marriage and divorce for the only reason for divorce. Adultery. There is no article in the Greek for the phrase, will of God. Which means that sexual purity is only one aspect of God's will for the believer's life. It's only one aspect of his will. If you look through the Bible, you're going to find all kinds of things are God's will. That you live abundantly. That you live in harmony. That you glorify him. That you praise him. That you live abundantly. That you love one another. That you obey. So many things. That you be strengthened by his spirit. So many things are his will. We get our word, by the way, pornography from this word. The word is used for many other things. For incest, molestation, anything having to do sexually apart from the legitimate aspect is pornea. Okay? The examples of its use in the scripture verify this. The first church council, remember in Acts 15, verse 20 and 29, they said the one thing that the Gentiles had to do among many was keep themselves from pornea, fornication. In other words, they could not continue in that old practice and say they were Christians. Now, some of you may be living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Some of you may be committing adultery. And you call yourself a Christian. I would challenge you to examine yourself this morning. The Bible says, not one fornicator, not one adulterer will ever inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the scriptures say. Okay? You sin against light. You're no longer ignorant. He's talking to Christians this morning. Very important. The word is used for incest. Remember 1 Corinthians 5.1? Where the son of the father was sleeping with his stepmother. He was sleeping with the wife of his father. And Paul says, what are you guys doing? Kick him out of the church. The sin of fornication is the only one, by the way, that is against your own body. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. There is no other sin that's committed against your own body except for fornication. It's very, very, very clear. The sin of fornication is listed as the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19. So singles, when you want to go over your boyfriend or girlfriend's house, make sure it's not midnight to go study the Bible because you'll end up in the works of the flesh. 
Use common sense. Be practical. You cannot take fire to your bosom and not get burned. You understand what I'm talking about? I hope I'm talking to an audience that's mature this morning and understands where the Bible's coming from. And we don't play games. The Bible says that sex is to be enjoyed to the fullest and blessed in the context of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4. The bed is undefiled. It's honored by God. You ever been to a baseball game at night? Under the lights, grass is so green. The line so straight. That dirt is red, brown, so beautiful. But if you go down to the infield and you take a shovel full of that dirt and bring it into your home and throw it on your new white carpet, it looks pretty dirty because it's out of its environment. And that's exactly what happens with sex. You take it out of marriage, it not only becomes dirty, it becomes destructive. The only thing is the destruction is more revealed as time goes by. Deception. Selfishness. Remember that with God there is no double standard. The standards are the same for men and women. Though as I have studied the scriptures for 26 years, I do believe the greater emphasis on sexual purity is focused on the woman. And I want you to hear me out as I go through it. Okay? There's a reason for that. Two reasons. First, the cohesiveness and permanence of the marriage bond and the home. She holds the home together. Secondly, the cohesiveness and permanence of society. Both of these become because the woman's greater emotional ties to sex than the man. She was created for the man, not the man for the woman. It's very, very clear. But God holds a man and a woman equally guilty for fornication. Now, let me show you what the scriptures to back all that up. In Deuteronomy 22, 21, she was required to show the tokens of her virginity on her honeymoon night. If she could not produce them, she would be stoned to death. Okay? In Numbers 31, 15 through 18, whenever Israel conquered a people, every woman that had had sexual relationship was killed. The only ones that were kept were the virgins. Because sex and idolatry and the worship of demons are always affiliated together. Always. Sex without marriage not only brings destruction to the person involved, but also to the society. As the saying goes, history repeats itself. An anthropologist, J.W. Unwin, conducted a study on 88 civilizations that have come and gone in the world history. In every one of these 88 civilizations, the morals and strict sexual conduct started off the same. But then things began lax, to become lax, and giving the people more and more freedom to express their sexual desires whenever and however they please. That freedom began to bring destruction of the civilization. First came venereal disease. Then the breakup of homes. Children were brought in and up in an unstable environment and patterned their behavior after their parents' behavior, making each succeeding generation more degenerate than the last. Thus, the civilization eventually were destroyed. You see a pattern here, people? A study of 5,000 civilizations revealed that 50 
were characterized as sexually free and confusing the sex roles without distinction or boundaries, bringing about the decay and death of all 50 civilizations without exception. People, we have blurred the boundaries of male, female, right and wrong. Do we believe we're going to escape it? In a book entitled, What I Believe, a Symposium of the Basic Beliefs of a Selection of Well-Known Men and Women, Kinsley Martin writes, quote, Once women are emancipated and, and begin to earn their own living and are able to decide for themselves whether or not they have children, marriage, customs are inevitably revised. Contraception, a well-known economist, once said to me, is the most important event since the discovery of fire. Basically, he was right, for it uh, fundamentally alters the relationships of the sexes on which family life is built. The result in our day is a new sexual code. The old morality, which winked at male promiscuity, but punished, punished female infidelity with a lifetime of disgrace, or even in some um, puritanical cultures with a cruel death, has disappeared. The new code tends to make it the accepted thing that men and women can live together as they will, but to demand marriage of them if they decide to have children. But that's not even there any longer. You see, God declares all these things in the Scriptures. But if you don't want to accept the Scriptures, look at history. Learn from history. No one escapes it. God prohibited various sexual practices as they came into the land in the Levitical, Levitical law. Just one of the aspects, Leviticus 18, uh, he, he mentions some of them. He says, incest, children with parents, sexual relationships, sister, brothers, stepbrothers, stepsisters, stepchildren, aunts, uncles, grandchildren, sister-in-laws, brother-in-laws, mother-in-law, all of those were prohibited. Adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, that's on the rise today, people. God declared that the land vomited out the people of the land for these practices. Do we think that we are the exception? I don't think so. The believer is to be sexually pure. But notice secondly, the believer is to be spirit control. Here's how you can do what he commands you. Notice first in verse 4, the will of God is that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The apostle is talking and referring to being spirit control. This is the positive side. God doesn't say, hey, do this and I'm not going to help you. He empowers us. Now some think the word vessel here refers to the wife. But the word is never used for the wife except in Peter, 1 Peter 3, 7, one time. The word is used of instruments, utensils, objects, containers, and the physical body. The use of the word, if it was used for a wife, it would demean the wife, meaning that she we are to acquire simply for an object of sex. And that is not the case. It's only a fringe benefit. The text here is fornication. Practice of sex, sexual life. So the better understanding is to take vessel to mean just the physical body. And it's used like that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. God has put this treasure in the earth in the vessel that the power may be of God, not of ourselves. In 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, I've told you there, he says, you choose whether you're a vessel of honor or dishonor. Many other places it's used like that. Now, 
Notice the believer is to acquire control and gain mastery over his own body by yielding to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and obeying the word of God. This is what will honor God as well as the body of the man and the woman. It's real clear. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 22, he says, Abstain from every form of evil. So don't even get close to something that's going to have a suspicion on your life. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, Flee youthful lust. Okay? Continue to be filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 You see, the filling of the Holy Spirit must go along with the armor of God. They work together. Ephesians 6.10-18 Very important. You cannot do it on your own. And notice, secondly, he says that the will of God in verse 5 is that you not possess your vessel in passions of lust like the Gentiles who know not God. This is what they were before. The apostle is talking and referring to being flesh control now in contrast to spirit control. This is a negative. The word passion means inordinate affection. And it's used like that in Romans 1.26 when we get the whole catalog of man's depravity in Colossians 3.5. The word lust, as you know, means a craving, a persistent desire. It is used for good and evil. The context will always determine whether that desire is good or not. James tells us that every man is drawn away by his own lust and enticed and brought to sin. First in James 1, 14 to 15. God doesn't tempt us. He cannot tempt man with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. But we're carried away by our own lust, our own desire, and we make a decision to sin. Because we reject the obedience to God's word. We, we refuse to walk in the spirit. We feel that we can handle it. We feel that we're the exception. And we end up burning people and getting burned. The apostle is saying that one of the characteristics of a person who does not know God is that they cannot control their sexual desires and appetite. If you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, what I'm talking about probably sounds as ridiculous as anything you've ever heard. And I can tell you right now that you cannot control yourself and your sexual appetite unless you're a Christian. But as a Christian, you can still walk in the flesh and use your grace as a license but you cannot get away with it. And we'll get to that at the end. Okay, God warns you. The desire and the drive for sex is God-given. Nothing wrong with it in the context of marriage. God will bless it. The problem is the fall. And our sin nature now has corrupted it and perverted it for selfish reasons. The attempt to control one's sexual desires apart from the Holy Spirit is futile. You and I cannot do it. You remember Joseph when uh, Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39.9 kept trying to entice him to lay with her? What was his response? You remember what he said? This is what he said. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's what you're to think of when it comes to sexual sin. Sin is against God and then against the person. And the proverb warns us about committing adultery that that husband that wife will not be satisfied or appeased by not even a gift or anything else and he warns of the fool who would enter into such a sin pastor xavier reese with some pertinent scriptural references regarding the lord's call to holiness in the area of sexual morality 
And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Now, there's much more to come on this timely message as well. But if you can't make plans to be back next time, or you already know a copy of this message is one that you'd like to have on hand for more in-depth personal study, as always, we can make that available to you. Now, the title to ask for is, So, Are You a Virgin? All that we ask is that you include $4 to cover the costs of duplicating and shipping. And once again, the title you want to ask for is, So, Are You a Virgin? To place your order by writing, address your request to Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. If you've ever thought to yourself that what you do with your body won't hurt anyone else, you need to hear the simple truths Pastor Xavier has planned to share right here next time. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 